I invite you to open up your Bibles towards the middle to the prophecy of Isaiah. In the Hutterford Catechism, we're going to look at our confession about the sacrament of baptism, which is not, you might wonder why this passage in Isaiah, why I've picked that. It does relate a little bit to what baptism also signifies. Isaiah 43, the end into chapter 44, and then also a section from chapter 49. So first of all, Isaiah 43, starting at verse 25. There the Lord says to His people who, in verse 24, He laments, You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. There the Lord says, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Your first father sinned, and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, informed you from the womb who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand the Lord's and name himself by the name of Israel. Then from chapter 49, a few chapters later. Chapter 49, starting at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted His people and will have mercy on His afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes. Look around and see. All these gather together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall surely clothe yourselves with them all as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. For your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, the place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. Then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me? 
since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and wandering to and fro. And who has brought these up? There I was left alone, but these, where were they? Let's also now look at our confession, the Word of God as we summarize it in Lord's Day 26 and 27. Of our Hatterby Catechism. These then are the Lord's Days that deal with our confession about the sacrament of baptism. There in question 69, we ask, how does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? And we answer, in this way, Christ instituted this outward washing, and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism where he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing, away of, the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. And you can see those are all either allusions or direct quotations from Scripture. Then in question answer 72, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin, and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them, no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. Let's sing after the sermon from Psalm 87. And we'll sing all the stances, 1 through 5 of Psalm 87. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think of tattoos? Do you perhaps have one? Is it okay for Christians to have tattoos? 
Sometimes this is mentioned in Leviticus 19, 28. God says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. So Jehovah's Witnesses are certainly very strict so that any sort of tattoo is sinful. You do have to understand, though, the context and the custom of the ancient world. The the tattoos that Leviticus is thinking about are not just decoration, they're not just permanent jewelry. In the ancient pagan world, still in places today, people were paranoid about spirits of the dead that they often thought still might linger in this world for a time. The use of uh, blood on you, scars, tattoos, was often thought that these were ways to keep these spirits and their influence away. In the ancient world, slaves also had tattoos. We might call them brands. Usually on their arms or on their wrists or even on their their hands. Something very visible. We also know that sometimes in the ancient world, very serious religious followers might have a tattoo to show their devotion to their God. In that passage that we read in Isaiah 44, God says that in the time of salvation, there will be people who like tattoos. What is the context there in Isaiah 44? One will say, I am the Lord's. This is verse 5. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. And then the next phrase we should translate a little bit differently. Another will write not with his hand, but on his hand, the Lord's. Isaiah is talking about the time of salvation. That there will come a time when the people of God, you know the people of God in the Old Testament, they do not boast or brag at all about being the Lord's. They seem so content to go after this God and that goddess rather than the Lord. But Isaiah sees a time that in this fickle and faithless world, one day there will be people who gladly acknowledge the Lord's ownership. They will be like a slave, willing to put the name of their master on their hand. And you see this too in the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul, too, introduces himself to the churches at times in his letters, that he is a slave or a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we also have that in baptism. What is baptism? This is one way of looking at it. A baptism is like a tattoo or a brand where God puts His stamp on us. I am yours and you are mine. In the Word of God, baptism is often called a seal. A seal that guarantees something is authentic First of all, 
A king can put his seal on something to show that it's the official royal proclamation. And baptism, too, is a seal that it shows the promises of God are authentic. But there's also another angle to the idea of seal in the Bible. In Revelation 7, for instance, you can see believers, the 144,000, they are sealed before the time of judgment. That means that they are protected and under the special care of God. Or in 2 Corinthians 1.21, you can read, that God has set His seal of ownership on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So baptism is about this. Ownership. There are many today in Christian churches who, you know, this is a symptom of our individualistic and slightly Arminian-flavored world, that they turn the meaning of baptism around. They make baptism a sign of our belief and our repentance. And therefore, you can only be baptized after you have believed. Your baptism then is like your profession of faith. In that view, you could never baptize babies. But that view has things completely backwards. Certainly, adult believers in New Testament times were baptized when they believed. But that does not mean that their baptism was about their faith or their devotion to God. Instead, baptism is a word of God. Baptism is God's seal. It is not about your choice. It is about God's choice. That God has chosen you and also your children. Baptism is God's claim upon you. I am your God, you are my child. That's why in the Belgian Confession, Article 34, I'll read it here for you. You can read it later on too. It's Article 34. By baptism, we are received into the church of God and set apart from all other peoples and false religions to be entirely committed to Him whose mark and emblem we bear. So I put the sermon under that theme. Baptism, God's branding. And we'll look at two things, the promise and then also the contents. Now you'll notice one key word repeated throughout the catechism's look at baptism. And it's very interesting that you know, your pastor asked me to preach on both Lord's Day 26 and 27. And there's a word sort of that functions as a bookend on either end. It's in question and answer 69, and it is also in question and answer 74. And it's a word, too, that's repeated in the next Lord's Day. It's also with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You know which word I'm thinking of? It's the word there in the third line of question answer of answer 69 the word promise that when we think of the sacraments baptism and lord's supper we are to think of god's 
promises to us. Now, that was a very rich discovery of the Reformation. You see, in the Middle Ages, the church had this idea that, no, the sacraments more were rituals that in themselves did something for you. They sort of worked magically, more or less, simply by the doing of them. There's even a Latin expression, ex opera, operato, that means for that, that, that means that, that simply once the sacrament is done, something must automatically happen to you. Originally, if you study church history, there were good reasons for this view. But the church wanted to make it clear that people knew the sacraments did not sort of depend upon you, how strong your faith was, or even how good the priest was who administered the sacrament. But maybe it started off well, but it turned the sacraments into superstition. Martin Luther and others realized that there was a far better and far more biblical way of talking about the sacraments. The sacraments are about God's promises. And isn't that a much richer way of looking at the sacraments? I just look in our human relationships. Promises are beautiful and precious things. And promises, you see, there's always a context to a, a promise. A promise might be about something that you're giving someone, but a promise is much more than that. A promise shows that you have a relationship with someone. A promise shows the attitude of the giver, the, the commitment even they're making to you. When someone promises they're opening up their heart to you, they want you to know how serious you are. Well, this is what we have in the sacraments. Here we see we have a promise making God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We get a glimpse in the sacraments into the heart of God. Here we see that we have a God who has extended a relationship with us, a covenant with us, who makes a commitment to us sinners. He desires us to know who He is. He wants us to know also His attitude, His goodness and grace, His love and faithfulness towards us. So whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever we look at ourselves and see nothing but sin and shame, let's remember what we see of our God in the sacraments that He's given us. God has His heart opened towards us. God is the promise-making God. And He knew exactly what it would be like he knew exactly what we would do in life, yet He made promises to us, even already signified and sealed to us when we were a babe. We were baptized. And it was not by the minister, as if this is just a human thing. God 
extended and sealed His promises to us, confirming His covenant with us. And look at the shape of that relationship at that promise. Look at baptism. Like, What is baptism all about? What is it a promise of? If you read throughout the New Testament, you'll find baptism is often connected with being united with Christ. Sharing in His life and His benefits. Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Paul connects baptism with the death of Christ. He goes on as well to talk about being united in Christ's resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul talks about how the Israelites were baptized into Moses. Maybe that might make you scratch your head. How could the Israelites be baptized into Moses? What does that language mean? But what the Apostle Paul means is that the Israelites got to share in the work of Moses, who was instrumental, of course, in leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. In the same way, we are baptized into the great Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could list many more passages. In baptism, God promises you that you are connected to Jesus Christ. His death is your death. His life is your life. His blood is your blood. His spirit is your spirit. His glory is your glory. That is what it means to be a Christian. And that's why throughout the New Testament, you'll find that little phrase too always. That we are in Christ. That means that we have a new identity. That we are new people. That means that we are defined by Christ. And we are not defined by what we do or what is done to us. There's a Reformed pastor on this Lord's Day who notes that our world has quite a conundrum here in terms of definitions. We always want to define ourselves, and we look to this and that to get our identity. Sometimes it's the past that is our identity. I mean, ask someone who they are, and they'll tell stories about their life experiences Or what if you were to talk to someone uh, from the First Nations? Sadly, many of them are defined by the injustices they have suffered, residential schools. I, I don't want to discuss here so much the extent of those injustices, which certainly are real and terrible, but the the sad fact that this often sort of becomes their identity. Yet everyone can be like that. 
Or maybe there's some experience we've gone through and we are forever living under its shadow. Maybe it's a sin that we have committed. And we're tempted to think, this defines me, this is sort of what I am. The Christian. Baptism is about this. First of all, we are defined by Christ. Baptism means that we have been clothed with Christ, that we have a new identity. Instead of sin and its misery, your sin, the sin of others, everything who Jesus Christ is, you now are. You share in Him. And that's the whole New Testament in terms of the New Testament commands. We mentioned this this morning too. Are really all about this. That we need to grow up into what we already are. We need to be who we are. The commands of the New Testament are rooted in this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ. How do you look at the New Testament? The commands of God. Sometimes we look at all those commands and we, we regard them as if they are a bit of a burden. Or something sort of strange and alien to us. That's completely untrue. The commands of God are always built upon the promise of God. The commands of God are like the blueprints for this new life that we do have in Jesus Christ. Certainly God's commands can be hard. Sin makes them hard. But they speak to who you truly are. So do the commands of of God, whatever they are. And you will find them becoming part of your nature because, in fact, they already are in Jesus Christ. Well, that takes us to our second point. Baptism, then, is a sign of the great promise of God. That we have new life. Life with a capital L. That we share even in the very life of Christ. Well, now we can focus on two things in particular. That we share in Christ's blood. And secondly, that we share in His Spirit. And the Heidelberg Catechism does a wonderful job always stressing to us those two things. If you're a Catechism student, you need to know that. Baptism is about the blood and the Spirit of Christ. Both of those things are like water. We'll get to that in just a moment, a bit more. Now let's first note that those are the two things that we need. I mean, you know it when you sin, 
that first of all, you need forgiveness. And you need a forgiveness that is like a washing that gets rid of this dirt that you know is on you and even sort of clings to you. You need a deep cleansing from shame and guilt. But then also, you need more than that. You need not just to be forgiven, you also need help so that you would learn, so that you would grow, so that you would do better. Now let's highlight both of those things, the blood and spirit of Christ. Cleansing as well as power. Sometimes people sort of just want power. Uh, What I mean is that they forget that they need to be cleansed before God. They just want the strength to do better the next time. Sometimes people just want the cleansing. They want to be freed from feelings of shame or guilt, but they do not want to actually live in a new way. We as believers need more and more every day of our lives to seek those two things. And both of them, cleansing and health. And baptism is a promise of both of them. First of all, it is a sign that God promises to cleanse us. To cleanse us in the blood of His Son. What greater thing can you get in terms of its power to cleanse you than the blood of His perfect Son, both perfect man and God? And baptism is a sign of God's help. It is a sign of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what greater power can you imagine than that? Constantly then, we need to meditate upon our baptism. So much goes right in our lives when we are first of all rooted in God in who He is and what He has done. And if you forget this, you may be able to build a sort of religious life that looks good in the sight of others, but before God, it is empty and hollow. Constantly, we need to realize not just the shame and the guilt of our sin, but also that we, through the blood of Christ, have been cleansed. And it's something, certainly, that you have to grip in faith. I mean, how can David, who's committed that great sin against Bathsheba and also Uriah, yet say, blot out all my transgressions and I will be clean whiter than snow? Clearly, David knows the greatness of God's grace. And even though his sin is great... He will not let that overcome him. But in faith, he sees a God who is greater 
And we too need to see the God who is greater, the God who has made us spotless in His sight. That is part of the foundation of the Christian life. And then also, the power of the Spirit. That you would constantly, too, go to the Spirit to seek strength, to seek a new life. Baptism is a promise that there is a water that not only cleanses you, but also regenerates you. The water of life that gives you new life in Jesus Christ. Constantly we need to return to these promises. And that is why God baptizes us. So that these promises do determine us, define us, and become our life. The same Reformed pastor I quoted earlier puts it wonderfully. Baptism, he says, means we are always welcome to return home. He's thinking of the parable of the prodigal son. That there's always a warm shower and some new clothes waiting for us. We have even more than the prodigal son. The prodigal son did not have confidence that the father would embrace him. He simply knew that life at home was better than life as a rebel. But we have baptism where God promises to time and time again embrace us, His prodigal children, and be our God. In the book of Isaiah, there is that marvel that's foretold that that one day sinners will gladly say, I belong to the Lord and even write on my hand the Lord's. But we kept reading in Isaiah because there's an even greater wonder in this prophecy. Did you remember that? In Isaiah 49, God says, let's see if I can find that again for you, which verse that is. In Isaiah 49, that's verse 16. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That's a startling thing. Remember I told you, the slave would often have the name of the master engraved on his hand. So you just had to look and you'd find out if this person was a slave and who owned them. But here in Isaiah 49, it's the unthinkable. The master has the name of the slave on his hands. This is an unheard of reversal. What master would stoop to this? This is like the master being willing to be owned by the slave. And we know this truth in all its startling depth. It is true. God has 
engraved our names on His hands. Hands that were held out on a cross that bore our sin, its guilt and shame. In the Lord Jesus Christ, God has done the unthinkable. God has stooped to such humiliation. God has shown His glory in a way that makes angels, would make angels talk forever. The name, the names of sinners etched into the flesh of the Son of God forever. How can God then forget us? He has become one of us. Will God give up on us? His Son has shed His own blood for us. Will our lives end in failure? We belong to Christ, the victorious, the risen one. And that is what baptism seals to us as well. Such great promises are ours in Jesus Christ. Not only that we belong to God, that we are His possession, not merely that His name is tattooed on our hands, but that God also belongs to us. That our names are on His hands. That God is truly our possession. Amen.